In the 1972 movie, The Man of La Mancha, an elderly man named Cervantes travels the countryside and sees the world differently than everyone else around him sees it. He sees himself as Don Quixote, a shining knight who is marching toward a glorious future of honor and noble deeds. And when he stops at an inn, he encounters a barmaid there named Aldonza, who is known to everyone else in town as a prostitute. And she's become hardened toward people and toward life. Cervantes asks her name, and when she says it's Aldonza, he begins to sing to her that her name is not Aldonza, but Dulcinea, for he sees her as a princess, not as a prostitute. Cynical, she rejects and mocks his silly song and tells him he's crazy. She is, she says, after all, Aldonza, and always will be, a child who was born in a ditch, unwanted and unloved. But late in the movie, when she hears that Cervantes is dying, she comes to his bedside, near death and poor eyesight, so at first he doesn't recognize her. When he asks who it is, she tells him it is Dulcinea and begins to sing back to him the song he first sang to her when they met. After he dies, she refuses to let anyone call her Aldanza anymore. She has become Dulcinea. Contrast that with a man named Barry, whose father said to him, you're a bum. You'll always be a bum. These were the words his dad said to him on his way to his college graduation a ceremony his father did not even attend. And this was not the first time, nor would it be the last, that Barry would hear these words. In fact, these were the only comments Barry received from his father about his future. Barry was a very brilliant person, very gifted, an eloquent speaker, a successful businessman, but he lost an important position at an insurance company because he self-destructed. What was it? that acted like an anchor in holding Barry back from reaching his God-given potential? Three words. You're a bum. Repeated over and over in Barry's presence and in his mind, even eight years after his father's death, they had wrapped themselves around him like a restricting cocoon, and he emerged as an insecure, irresponsible, defeated, and self-defeating man. I want to talk to you today about picturing a positive or a special future as we continue in this series called The Blessing. If you haven't been with us, we've been looking at this interesting theme in the Bible. And we've been talking about it from a couple different angles. And I hope that no matter what you've heard during this series, if you've been part of it, you'll hear this next line that's in the notes, the first line of the notes. The blessing is the gospel, the good news the gift God offers in Jesus. The blessing is the gospel, the gift of life that God offers in Jesus. The blessing is Jesus. And God wants every person to know this, whether you're Barry or whether you're Aldonza, that God made you and that God gave his one and only son for you, that you might have a different future than maybe you've heard 
or maybe assumed you would have. This is the good news that we have to share with every person that God has made possible through his son and through the gift of his son. And uh, the series sentence that we've had, I want to just put it here on the screen again and ask you if you would read it with me out loud. This is the good news that we have to know and share. In Christ, God wants each of us to know the blessing so we can give the blessing. Let me say it again. Even if you never receive the blessing from your parents or from an important human being in your life, you can still know the blessing. You can still become a person who knows the blessing and gives the blessing. And when you begin to live with this kind of understanding and this vision, you can be a difference maker in this world. You can live out the purpose that God made you for. And that's what he wants us to know and understand. And so, in another sense, we've been studying the blessing from places like the Old Testament, where the patriarchs would often, from one generation to another, extend or convey a word or action of affirmation. So if you're following along in the notes, the blessing, as we've also seen it, are words and actions that convey affirmation. The blessing is words and actions that convey affirmation. And we've been looking at that. If you turn your notes over to the back side, the book by Gary Smalley called The Blessing, and John Trent talks about five elements that when you look at this, oftentimes... One of these or several of these show up in the blessing that's extended from one generation to another. Oftentimes, you know, the first is meaningful touch where they didn't just talk to the person, but many times they put their hand on their shoulder, sometimes on their head, and just, you know, spoke a blessing over them, which leads to the second thing, spoken words. That oftentimes a blessing wasn't a blessing until it was put into words, till it was spoken or written. Uh, An extension of that was the next thing, expressing high value. And that what they often would do is say, you're valuable to me, you're precious to me. And they would use different word pictures sometimes or different metaphors, similes. Another thing they did, which is what we're going to look at today, is that they would picture a special or a positive future for the person that they were blessing. They would look out into the future and say, this is what I see you becoming. This is what I see happening in your life. And the fifth one is an active commitment. It wasn't just words that they would say, but they got behind the people that they were blessing with a sense of total commitment to helping that blessing come about. And the last week of this series, after we study active commitment next week, we're gonna look at how our church can be a blessing to our community, how our church can know the blessing together as a church family and give it together in some strategic ways. And so as we think about this theme, here's what I hope. I hope that no matter where you are, whether your background is like Barry or Aldonza or whether you've come where you've experienced the blessing in some way from your parents or your heritage, no matter what your experience is, that today God will show you his plans for you that are good. So let me pray. Now, God, I'm trusting that somehow during this series, you'll use the truths of your word to penetrate our hearts and help us see not only how we can experience firsthand your blessing on our lives, but also how we can be pipelines, that we can pass the blessing on to other people around us, both those close to us and those around us. We pray this for Jesus' sake and for his glory. And everyone agreed and said, amen. Now let's look at this together today about picturing a special future and how you and I can both understand it and practice it. 
First, if you're following along in the notes, I want you to see that picturing a special future is not choosing or deciding for them what they do. Picturing a special future, when you and I seek to give a blessing that way to somebody, it is not us choosing or deciding for them what they do. Sometimes, you've probably seen this, is that in some parenting, what goes on is that parents try and control their kid's future. They try and choose it for them. And that can happen, and that can be manipulative. That can be sometimes people just trying to vicariously live out their lives through their kids. Sometimes we do that kind of thing through friendships where we say, well, this is what I think you should do. Sometimes we do it with spouses. Sometimes we do it with coworkers. The point is, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about picturing a special future. The next line is what clarifies this. Picturing a special future does this. It looks for and points out God's work in them. It looks for and points out God's work in them. Last week we saw that the reason why we can value every person we lock eyes with is for two reasons. One, every person that you've ever met has been made by God. That doesn't mean they're living out the purpose they were made for, but they have been made by God. They have value. There is no life that does not have value because of what God's given them. Second is because every person you and I lock eyes with, they were paid for by God with his one and only son. You and I have never looked at someone for whom Christ did not die. And so when we understand that, it helps us to value people. But beyond that, we also know that by grace, we have been saved when we trust in him, that it's grace, grace that he offers to us. But then he says, when you come to know me, you become my workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. This is a future. So he both made us and now he is making us new in Christ. This is a powerful, powerful thing. And when you and I begin to understand that, you say, what about non-Christians? Do you and I believe that God wants to do that just as much for them as he does wants for us? And so it's this kind of looking at people through God's eyes and how God might be at work in someone else's life. I list out to the right there two scripture passages. I'll just tell you real quick what they are. There was a guy named Joseph in the early church. And the, the early Christians just said, Joe, you're not Joseph, you're Barnabas. You're the son of encouragement. As we watch and see God's work in your life, oh my goodness, you just, every time you give yourself to God, he encourages us. He encourages other people. Barnabas took that to heart. Do you think that he encouraged less or more after he heard that? Oh my goodness, I think it made him go, God, I, I think you made me to encourage. And he began to encourage. And so when the early church was expanding, it came to a city named Antioch which was full of Gentiles. And we've learned this before. Gentiles are, are everyone that's not what, friends? Jewish, right? So that would include us. And it never had spread past Jewish people before. Christianity hadn't. Now it came into Gentiles. And so they sent Barnabas down to the church at Antioch. And I love this verse. It says, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. But he didn't stop there. He saw what God was doing. And then he thought to himself, I know somebody that would really be important in the work here. And the Bible says in Acts 11 that he went and he found Saul, who hadn't yet become Paul. But through Barnabas' encouragement, this former persecutor of the church became one of the greatest teachers and apostles in the church. But it started because Barnabas saw something even before the apostles saw something. 
Friends, when you and I look for and point out, do you see how God's working in your life? Do you see how he made you uniquely? Do you see how you have that talent? Do you see how you have that gift? When we do that with people around us, humbly and offer that up, it begins to do something to them where they begin to picture what God wants them to picture in their hearts and minds. And that's what this is about. So again, where do we find this in the scripture? Well, again, I could spend the rest of the day talking about this. The Bible shows God and people doing it, if you're following along. The Bible shows God and people doing it. We've already talked about Genesis 12, how God said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. You will not only be blessed, you'll be a blessing. He gave him a picture of what the future could be like for Abraham, and Abraham goes, "Um, it's just me, my wife here, and my nephew. And he's going, I'll show you, I can do something. And he does, and he works through Abraham as Abraham believed God and did not waver in his trust in what God could do. And so we've seen that. We can talk about other passages. I love Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a word God spoke to the exiles when they were far from their homeland. Here it is on the screen. Let's read it together. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And so this idea resonates a lot, but also where do we see it? when people are giving it to people. We see it there in that first gray box, Genesis 27, 28 through 29. This is where Isaac is blessing his son Jacob. Notice how he pictures a positive or a special future for his son. Would you read it with me out loud? May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you. Now I wanna be clear. I'm not saying that when you and I picture a special future for someone that it has the same weight of authority that Isaac as a patriarch had when it became scripture. I'm simply saying is understand that what he was doing is something that's very similar to what we can do when we're building up other people. When we're valuing people, we can say, here's what I see for you one day or here's what I think you could become or here's what I wonder if God may not do in your life. When we say those things humbly, friends, it gives people a chance to look towards that and move towards that rather than tying them up with words that don't help people do that as far as picturing a different kind of future. And again, I could talk about lots of things. I will tell you this, I was meditating on this last night. First Corinthians 2, 9, and 10, it says, for eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has the human mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But the Holy Spirit has revealed these things to us. Praise God. And he wants you to see that the special future is not just heaven, but how we live here as well. As Andrew already read, those people that have an eternal perspective are all, almost always the ones that do the most good here and now as well because of the influence and the hope of that When we realize that he has taken care of our future like that, we can live in the present with more power and we can do what God's called us to do and for what he made us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should 
walk in them. Another thing I want you to see is that picturing a special future is seen in Jesus' interactions and teachings. It's seen in Jesus' interactions and teachings. I've listed one of the examples there in that second grade box, Matthew 419. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Jesus said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you a different kind of fisherman. You will bring in people, not fish. I love this. Follow me, and I will make you into this kind of person. You can't even see that far. You can't see past what's going on right now, but I can And I want you to know that if you'll give your life to me, I will make more of it than you could have ever imagined. It doesn't mean that you may not go through hardship. It doesn't mean that you may even have to give your life for me. But even then, you will be able to glorify me with such a greater purpose than you ever could. Friends, when people understand this, it's huge. Again, out to the right, I list how Peter, we actually studied this back in Luke 5, where Peter he thinks he knows better than Jesus about how to fish. So Jesus, you know, says to him, why don't we put the boat out and catch some fish? And Peter's going, okay, it's the worst time of the day. I don't want to like tell you, you don't know what you're talking about. But they get out there and they catch more fish than Peter had ever seen in his nets ever. And then after that, look at what happens here in Luke 5, here on the screen. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. You see the picture he has for his future? For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also amazed. And look what Jesus does. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. He says, look, I'm gonna get you involved in what lasts forever. It's not that fishing doesn't matter. It's just I'm gonna, I have a bigger future for you than you could have ever imagined. Yes, you, a fisherman that didn't even think you were worthy to follow me. Come on, I'll do that. And then I want you to see that even when Peter, did Peter always get it right after he started following Jesus or did he mess up really big? Do we know the answer? Okay, so what happens when we mess up really big and we're following Jesus? What about then? Does Jesus still picture a special future for Peter? Look at what happened in Luke 22. This is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. So he should have a lot of other things on his mind besides this. But notice, he goes back to the name that he first met, Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned back to me again, let's read the next line. Strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, I've already been praying for you. I can see past your failure. And the picture that I have of your future is that you are gonna be a people strengthener again, even though you denied me three times. Do you think that held Peter up after he denied him three times? Do you think that gave him a a, a picture to move forward. To. Oh man, huge, huge. And I love this about Jesus. Again, I could give more examples. Let me move on. Picturing a special future has a lot to do, friends, with our imaginations. I don't know if you know this, but I know some of the teachers here have talked about this. They can see that a child's imagination is alive and vibrant, but something happens to us as we get older. Something happens to us that's a lot like Eldonza. Whatever we used to think was possible, whatever we used to think might happen, now we become hardened. Now we become cynical. Now we become afraid. 
And so what God wants to do is he wants to work in our imaginations, the theater of our minds and hearts where we can actually see a picture of what could be. And so part of picturing a special future with our friends and loved ones and those that we want to bless is this. It empowers, if you're following along, their imagination so they can become. It empowers their imagination so they can become. Out to the right, I've listed the Apostle Paul's prayer. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father and I begin to pray this for you. I pray that you may know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you and that you may know it beyond just head knowledge. And here's why. Because now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and forevermore. And friends, when you and I begin to understand that, when we begin to be part of God's work in the world, we say, hey, let's just imagine what what God might do with your life. Let's just think together what God wants to maybe do with you. And let's think about that together and let's ask God to reignite and re-expand our imagination so that on the theater of our minds, instead of only seeing the word bum, instead of seeing the word prostitute, instead of seeing the word failure, instead of seeing the world total loss, we now begin to see hope, someone who God is doing a good work in. This is what he wants to do, friends, so much. Notice another thing is that, is that it helps them see how they can glorify God and edify others. If you're following along, picturing a special future helps them see how they can glorify God and edify others. Maybe you've noticed that in the last few weeks, we've been showing videos where we've been seeing a glimpse into different people's lives in our church family. And these people have been willing to kind of open their lives and talk about how they've seen the blessing both coming into their lives and how they've been able to pass it on. And one of our highest values in Cherry Hills is authenticity, being real. And so another one is community, making sure that we do things together in small groups of community as well as big community. And so as you watch this, I hope you'll appreciate a man named Cliff Clement in our church who, by the way, if you didn't know this, he hands out candy to younger members of our church. So he's a blessing. Okay, watch this. My name is Clifford Clement. Uh, my wife, Judy, and I have attended Cherry Hills for the past 28 years and raised our family here at Cherry Hills. Uh, I come from a family of, of 12 children uh, with the adults. There are 14 people in our home on the north end of Springfield. Been in Springfield all my life. We were raised in a non-Christian home where not many values were taught. Uh, no encouragement was given, no love, uh, no blessings uh, from the parents. Uh, uh, and we were of much importance that they provided the necessities of life, uh, provided us with, with a home and, and food. They, they did teach us all to work. Uh, very negative comments, uh, very seldom positive uh, comments. And through all those years, I believe God's hand uh, was on me uh, from the things that he protected me uh, from while growing up. I could have come out of that home a very bitter and uncaring individual. 
but uh, because of God's grace, I did not. I left that home uh, when I was in my early 20s, went to Chicago, uh, attended DeVry a Technical School, I worked and paid uh, for my own education uh, while there. When I got out of the school, I went into the Air Force. And when I come home on, on leave to attend my sister's wedding, I uh, met my wife, Judy, and we later uh, got married and moved to California where uh, we attended church out there and I uh, learned uh, about the, the Lord, accepted the Lord as my personal savior and uh, he become an important part of my life. And after the Air Force, uh, Judy and I returned to, to Springfield uh, to raise our family and we have uh, three adult children, uh, which uh, has uh, all, all know what, what the blessing is. They, they've received a blessing, I believe, from us because of God's grace in, in my life uh, and uh, the Christian home that he's allowed us to uh, raise the, the kids in. All three of them are today, they're, they're all married uh, to Christian spouses. All of them have uh, received a, an education so that they uh, got each, uh, they're the only three with college degrees out of our family. Uh, the uh, families that, that they're raising is, is Christian children also. The Lord allowed a young man to come in into my life that uh, did not get, get a blessing from his father. And he's graciously allowed me to give that blessing and encouragement to, to Josh. And today, because of God's grace and his hand upon our, our family, I believe that the, uh, uh, that the blessing will be passed on from my children because they're very positive and encourage their children also. And uh, we're very thankful for that. And I, I just thank and praise the Lord every day of my life. And I think that's all I have. Praise God. May that story be multiplied over and over and over again in our city. This is what God can do. And I'm so thankful for Cliff. Notice another thing, though, that when I said that, when I said helps them see how they can glorify God and edify, which means to build up or encourage others. One of the ways we've done that as a church family, about 19 years ago, a man in this church and I were at a conference, and I heard a speaker there say something that I've never been able to shake. He said, if you are not helping people discover their spiritual gifts and the ministry capabilities that God's given them when they trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in and gives them spiritual gifts, then you, especially you pastors, are committing pastoral malpractice. So we came back and we began teaching 18 years ago a course called Network. And over 700 people have gone through that in our church family over those last 18 years. Maybe you're one. We hope to offer it again this fall, but if not, for sure, we're going to be offering it by January, but stay tuned and watch for that if you're interested. But in that class, it's more than just a class, for six weeks, we sit down with people and say, what do you, what, you know, there's some different evaluation tools. What do you think the spiritual gifts are that God's given you? And also, what 
passion has he given you? Is it a cause? Is it a people group? What makes your heart beat fast? If you could make a difference in the world, what has he put in your heart? And the third thing is personality. What personality has God given you? Are you more extroverted or introverted? Because he made you and it matters. And so we help people figure out how that might look different for different personalities, how it might look different the way God knits all those together. After the class is over, then we have a consultation for 45 minutes or an hour, one-on-one with those people. And we talk with them. Let's figure out maybe what God's showing you. And all I can say is when the light bulb goes on, for so many people, or when they finally discover for the first time, I had no idea that maybe God can use me in that way. It becomes a holy moment, and it sets people on a different course, and I pray that we can keep doing that as a church family. But you and I can actually do this sometimes one-on-one with people by asking questions, and so if you're following along, picturing a special future helps them find hope in what God says and not in lies. Picturing a special future helps them find hope in what God says, not lies. One of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible is when Jonathan, King Saul's son, who was the rightful heir to the throne, hears that David is on the run from his dad. And so instead of saying, hey, David, I should be the rightful heir anyway, he knows that God actually has it in his plan for David to be the next king. So of all people, he goes out to help him find strength in God. Look at these verses here, 1 Samuel 23. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. This is the Old Testament Saul, not the New Testament Saul. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him. Let's read this last phrase, friends. Helped him find strength in God. He helped him hope again. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. You hear what he's saying is, man, you're losing. You're losing your imagination. You're losing the picture of the special future he has. You're tempted to quit. You're tempted to cave. Don't cave. Don't cave. And he helped him find strength in God. When I went to college, there was uh, the school I went to was called Judson University. It was named after a missionary to Burma named Adoniram Judson. And Judson was famous for this sentence. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And when you and I begin to live under the promises that God wants for us in Christ, it can be so powerful. One more thing, picturing a special future requires us to pray, listen well, and ask good questions. Picturing a special future, if we're going to like do it with somebody this week or do it with someone in the future, it requires us to pray, to listen well, and ask questions, to be a student of other people, to be a cheerleader, to be someone who helps people process, who doesn't just think about ourselves, but also says, hey, what about you? Let's think about what God may be doing in your life. Let's think about the unique qualities you have. Let's think about the unique things about your personality or giftedness. For me, that meant that paying attention to each one of our kids and not showing favoritism, to see the unique ways that they had been made, to see early on how Jeremy had an interest in photography and the arts while his brother Luke had an interest in science and math, and to call those out of each one of them and then to discover that they both had a gift for explaining these things to other people. So now they're on this course to be college professors of photography and math. Go figure. And our daughter, to see that she had a gift for expression and for writing. 
so that in college, unbeknownst to Trish and I, she got on a list where she could write cancer victims, words of hope. Yeah, you and I can do this. And it's also seeing things in our spouses. Sometimes, isn't it true, the nitty-gritty of life all we say to people is what's wrong or what we're bothered by. And we fail, we miss the chance to say, I believe that God wants to use you today. Sometimes what God shows me is, Jeff, before you run out of the house, stop and pray with your wife. Pray for her as a preschool teacher today. Pray that she can make a difference in this world by the lives she touches with kids. Friends, when you and I begin to pray that way with our kids and we begin to say, Lord, I don't know if Billy knows you yet, but I know that's your plan for him. I know that's what you want for him. I don't know if Sarah loves you yet, Lord, but please work in her life so that someday she can be all that you made her to be. It gives people a chance to picture a special future. I've talked a lot about my dad in this series. And I'm glad I can. But I want to talk about my mom for a minute. My mom was adopted at four years old. Her mother did not take care of her. And so, fortunately, my mom's uncle and aunt legally adopted her and they became grandpa and grandma to me eventually. My mom came to know Christ when she was a teenager. And when my mom and dad got married, she began to teach my dad that they needed to pray for us kids. My dad got going so busy with work that sometimes he didn't make that as much of a priority. I'm saying this by his own admission. So when we were getting ready for school many days, I can still picture exactly where their bedroom door was, and I can picture it closed. And we were told that the reason the door was closed is because they were on their knees praying for each one of us kids, And I was not an easy kid to pray for. And they were praying that God might work in our lives so that we might become the young men and women that God wants us to be. And I can tell you, even when I was a total rascal, the picture of knowing that my mom had helped my dad, both of them, pray for me, gave me hope. It gave me a picture beyond myself. And now, another thing that I've told you before is that sometimes after services, my mom will come up and talk to me, and she'll sometimes say, I'm glad I let you live. (laughs) And then she'll say this. I bet she said this a thousand times. Jeff, when you're yielded to the Lord, God works mightily through you. And I want to say that to you. When you yield to the Lord, friends, there's nothing that God can't do. Boy, do we need this reminder or what? So how do we practice the blessing? Let me bring this home. We practice the blessing by first, if you're following along, receiving God's now and forever gift of Jesus. By first receiving God's now and forever gift of Jesus. Please understand this, that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he pictured a special future for all those of us that he was dying for. And he wanted to give us, he offers a gift. But I need to be super clear. He was also very honest that if you and I refuse that gift, then we will die in our sins. And we'll be separated from God for all eternity. It's why Jesus came to die. He didn't want that future for us. 
and he gave his all to make sure that that didn't have to happen. The Bible says the wages of sin, the penalty, the cost of our sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. It pictures a special future. But the gift of God is eternal life, not just heaven, but now and forever through Jesus Christ. And here's my question. Have you received him? Have you received Jesus, the blessing, the gift of God? If you haven't, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You can call on the name of the Lord and he will come in and give you the blessing that will shake up your whole world and change your future forever, forever. And I pray that happens in someone's heart today if it hasn't already happened. But here's what I also want you to see is that then once you and I do that, the Bible says he doesn't stop. He gives us his Holy Spirit who now begins to live through us. The second thing I hope you'll see is that practicing the blessing is going to probably mean this, to apologize for hurtful words and offer ones that cheer on. To apologize for hurtful words and offer ones that cheer on. I, um, while I was writing that very sentence this week, the Lord cut me to the heart. Over 10 years ago, I said something to someone in this church that was not a positive picture of their future. I, I dinged them really bad. I, I cut them. And I thought I was being a good pastor. But I look back on it now, and I realize that I, that I was being careless. So last night... I just made a phone call to this person. They were so gracious to me. But I said, I'm so sorry for the damage I've done in your life. And I pray that somehow, as you forgive me, that God can just release you from any of the stuff that that has settled in your heart and constricted. And this person was amazing. And I know that doesn't always happen. Their response was incredible, but I knew that I at least had to do that because of what I had done, and that at least was my part. And then I want to be the kind of church that doesn't just do it when the teachers stand, but let's be the kind of church that says, way to go. Way to go. Keep going. Don't quit. Way to go. Let's be that kind of church. Amen? Let's stir one another up to love and good works. The last thing is to tell a friend, spouse, or child one quality you see in them. Tell a friend, a spouse, or a child one quality you see in them. Steve has often told you that he had a college professor, actually a youth, a youth pastor that saw something in him. He said, I think even though you're shy, I think you've got the ability to speak. And he had him speak at youth group. And several people trusted Christ that retreat. And Steve's future was forever changed and so was ours, amen? Friends, you and I have no idea what a compliment or what a word can say. I see this in you. So let's be that kind of people that give the blessing this week, amen? So I want to just close by reading something to you and then give you some time to think about what God's saying to you. I just wrote this this week. I'm writing it to you. So I'll just read it. Cherry Hill's family. In Christ, 
God wants you to know the blessing so you can give the blessing. May you see yourself as God sees you. May you see your future as God pictures it for you when you trust his son, Jesus Christ. May God, by his Holy Spirit, enable you to see and move towards the future he's opened up for you in Christ. May you know his blessing upon your life personally so that you can pass it on to others this week. I'm excited to be part of the future with you. There's no church family I'd rather be a part of. Our God wants to sing over us with a new name so that we can walk into a special future together. Amen. Bow your heads if you would. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? How can you respond to him? How can you do exactly what he's asking you to do in his power, in his grace? to some extra credit. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless your enemies. He said in another place. What did he mean? When everything inside of you wants to retaliate, when everything inside of you wants to picture a terrible future for them, let my grace so work in you that you picture a different future for them than they deserve. I did that on the cross. Stephen did that when he was being stoned. You and I can do that for the people around us, even those that gall us. So think about that this week. There's people that'll be down front for the prayer team. But let me finish the same way I have. I hope you have a good week. May the Lord... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
Thank you.